This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. The federal liberal cabinet is holding a retreat in Montreal. The event kicked off last night. And Michelle McQuig has the latest on the story. Michelle is the weekend news editor at the Canadian Press. Good morning, Michelle. Morning, Dave. How are you? I'm good, Michelle. I quite literally mean the latest. One of the cool things about doing a live television show is that at 9, 12 a.m. Eastern time, news is breaking in real time. And during the commercial break, you were like, hey, have you seen this? I'm like, no, I've been (laughs) I've been getting ready to do a television show the last 25 minutes. So, Michelle, what's the latest out of the retreat? So the very latest out of the retreat, and I'm talking about how the, the, the I'm looking at something in our system that will you'll be able to read in about 30 seconds or so. But uh, Immigration Minister Mark Miller has decided to put a two-year cap on new student visa imis- admissions, and that's going to ultimately lead to about a 35% reduction in those kinds of visas and fees. Wow. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a big announcement. Uh, I wish I could give you more details, but as I said, this is literally breaking right now, and the first version just hit the wire, so you all should be able to read that momentarily. Uh, but this is what's happening. Uh, th- th- there was some chatter about this. The government was under a bit of pressure to face uh, to do something about student visas, and, and it's all tied to the foreign interference topic that we've talked about so much. We might even revisit it on the panel. Uh, but this is where we are right now. This is one of many things that is, are expected to come out of the cabinet retreat in Montreal over the next couple of days. Yeah, that, that's that been one of the big narratives here, especially in the last three to four weeks when some of the uh, 2023 immigration numbers finally came out. There's been a lot of conversation about foreign Foreign students about the yes. about the inf- the influx of a growing population in the context of the housing and healthcare crisis. So, so this is certainly a response to what's been a big narrative point for the better part of four weeks. That's correct, and that's going to be sort of what the cabinet is trying to do for the next couple of days is get on top of a couple of of very very. Uh, persistent files in areas where the government has taken a lot of flack, not just from the opposition, but in the polls, most yeah, notably. Yeah. Um, so that's really where the focus is going to be. There was another cabinet retreat in August that sounded like it was going to be focusing on a lot of the same things. So I think they're facing even more pressure this time, six months later, to actually take some action. There were some things, some concrete measures that came out of the last cabinet retreat. Uh, but well, yeah, the, 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 the grocery, like the grocery summits, like a lot of a lot of the the the, the, the grocery policies in terms of affordabilities yeah. like really did come out of the last August liberal retreat summit. Very much so. But it didn't do a whole lot to move the public opinion needle, which, no. is, of course, is where they're focusing their attention right now. Uh, so they've made it quite clear that affordability is still top of mind. That's where they're going to be focusing most of their attention on today. Affordability, housing and uh, and the Canada-U.S. relationship, interestingly, is going to take up a lot of space tomorrow, too. Absolutely. Certainly in an election year and uh, with some comments last week that were made about the general tussle between the two countries, as well as the availability of certain pharmaceuticals and drugs. That's been again, it's all these bubbling narratives that have been really uh, in the press for about a month now, while Parliament has not been sitting. So they they sort of had, had a chance to boil over a little bit without sort of official responses. Michelle, there was one piece of news that broke last night about hosting a summit related to auto theft amidst increasing uh, car car theft in the country. 
Yes, that, that is indeed something that happened yesterday. Uh, but to our surprise, we didn't see that one coming. Um, but the feds have announced that they, they, they had a lot of numbers to back it up to the, the fact that auto thefts are have, have been spiking dramatically. Like we're talking hundreds of percentages of increases over, over a handful of years. Almost every province is reporting it. Uh, they had all kinds of stats to back up why they decided to call this summit in February with, with the provinces, with RCMP, with various police forces, auto manufacturers even are going to be in on the mix. Uh, it, it, it's a, we're not entirely sure what, what prompted this in particular, but, but here we are. This, this is going yeah, on next month. That, that, this is one where anecdotally uh, people are certainly talking about this. One of my friends runs a moving company, and they've had a huge issue with people stealing ca- catalytic converters from uh, their vehicles. That's right. So yeah, that's been a big one for years now, yes, catalytic converters. Yeah, so it's, not, so it's not just sort of the stealing of the physical vehicle. It's stealing some of the resources related to the vehicle. So they're, yeah. they're, like, it's, it's certainly something that, once again, it's it's been brambling whether or not it's part of a generalized auto theft trend it's certainly something that people are talking about it's become it's become one more layer of complexity in the micro economy for sure and and i will say that there are definitely numbers to suggest that it's not just anecdotal that you're talking about here uh, I, I forget that I don't have the numbers right in front of me this moment, but my colleague Mia Rabson had them in her story yesterday. You know, auto thefts went up something like 50% in Ontario and Quebec in the past couple of years, I want to say. Wow. Uh, 35%, and there was another province that documented that. Um, many, many, many stats. Again, I, I would love to get a real national picture of this issue, but even the preliminary data suggests that there is at least something to it. Uh, still, the, the notion of an auto theft summit is, is one that, uh, took a few of us by surprise. Yeah, definitely. It's not. <laughs> it wasn't one that was on yeah. the radar. It wasn't. It wasn't a talking no. point going into the week. Going into the weekend, that but is, it popped that up is last quite night. Fair. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Michelle, let, let's get to a different story that you and your colleagues were following over the weekend. This one's like a little bit less newsy per se, but it is really fascinating. It's about diplomat compensation, specifically yeah. for people who work for the Foreign Service working in the United States. What's at issue here? So my colleague Dylan Robertson, who is just like a, a maven on all things foreign affairs, and I highly suggest you give him a read. Um, he had a chat with the head of the Foreign Service Workers Union, um, which I, I actually did, had not known existed. But what she was saying is that for Global Affairs Canada has been having difficulty filling a lot of U.S. postings, despite the prestige that often comes with those. And what she is saying is that she thinks global affairs ought to offer some more top-ups and that people are getting scared off American postings because of gun crime and access to health care in the States. Uh, so that's quite a bold statement. Cause, that's cause a American very posting, bold statement. Yeah, it really is, because American postings are, are extremely prestigious. They have a lot of advantages, of course, that they're not exactly hardship postings. They're the kind of things that people sort of strive for later in their career, historically, anyhow. Um, but she talks about how people who have been in these postings have had to witness multiple school shootings and office evacuations and, and deal with directly with the aftermath of of the gun violence that we know is, is rampant there and that they're really struggling with uh, on a regular basis. Um, she feels that that sort of information is the kind of thing that would make it into a posting if it was for any other country other than the Canada and the U.S., um, and so that's sort of the basis for her her call for action. That's a healthcare one is interesting too, in light of the fact that she's saying many people the the, the fact that the U.S. has no public health care at all to speak of leaves people without fallback options if they need immediate treatment, um, insurance, 
uh, we all know about the, the difficulties that that can present uh, when trying to seek health care when you don't have coverage. Um, so all of these reasons are, are why she's feeling the need for, for some action. But this uh, this call of hers is far from unanimous. There are definitely voices out there saying that's an absolutely absurd position to take. Why should people be paid more to live and work in a country where, can, where many Canadians quite happily go on vacation? Uh, this is the most important relationship we have. There's no way that there should be, there should be additional incentives. Uh, so it's it's quite a very, the voices in this particular story, and I suspect the reaction more broadly is going to be pretty polarized on this. Well, yeah, because be because people perceive diplomats, like you said, as this prestigious, high-paid job where you're just having like these high-level dinner parties and having a great time. Mm -hmm. But it's worth noting this isn't simply about giving ambassadors who get to live in a nice house and a nice apartment a big raise. This is about no. a lot of support staff who don't make a ton. Like they make a good living, they don't make a ton of money, and a city like Washington. DC, whether or not you live in Washington or Maryland or Virginia, it is not a cheap place to live. And then you factor in things like, yeah, if I'm, am I going to send my kid to a school where someone's going to break in with a gun one day? Like, like, like I, I, I get, I, I get the position that that a rank and file global affairs worker would feel about this, right? Because it's not just champagne parties. Absolutely not. And it's not just Washington, D.C. There are consulates all over the United States and cities all over the country. So there are the regional when people talk about regional politics in the United States, a lot of the, those conversations don't necessarily apply to D.C., but they are relevant to, to diplomats posted all over the place. So, yeah, no, there's it's, it's quite an interesting back and forth. And there, what we don't know, unfortunately, is what global affairs thinks. Uh, they, right, right. We, we, they have not weighed in on this one. And as you can just imagine, uh, there would be a lot of uh, it would be fairly fraught to 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 retackle any kind of classifications of these postings because, of course, the implications for the U.S.-Canada relationship um, would be significant. Yeah, if there they... was any indication <laughs> that that would suggest that these are hardship postings in any way, uh, that would raise a few questions on, on the U.S. side. Well, you know, uh, maybe they deserve to have some questions raised. All right, Michelle, one more. Let's end on uh, positive vibes here. Uh, your voice went national yesterday as you did a voicer for the Canadian press all about the Rideau Canal in Ottawa opening. <laughs> and this is good vibes. Like, there's no negativity to this. Totally. This is like a wonderful yeah, story. Yeah, it's just a win. Yeah, it's lovely. It's uh, the Rideau Canal... You know, a classic of Canada, a point of national pride, as one of my coworkers put it over the weekend. It's really cool. Um, it was closed since the end of the 2022 season. Last winter was too warm and it never opened up at all. And that was the first time it had ever happened. And I understand for all the residents of Ottawa, it just sucked not to have that available. This year, it wasn't looking good. Uh, even just last week, we were still hearing reports of how we weren't sure if things would reopen. But along came a cold snap. The ice got to form, it got thick enough, and part of it did reopen yesterday. So skaters were back on the ice, and apparently a good time was had by many, even on a more truncated route. Uh, they've only got about a kilometer of it open right now, but they're planning to expand more. So hopefully Ottawa will get the entire skateway back, the whole uh, multi-kilometer stretch of it all running through the city at some point this year all the way from Dow's Lake right to the downtown core. It's one of the coolest features of a city that I've ever experienced, Michelle. People will, oh, com people will commute to work on their skates, right? Like people will that's skate so, into awesome. work. Like, like how right? cool oh, is that? That's amazing. That's so amazing. Like I've, I've, I've skated on the Rideau and visiting people there. 
but that's a whole other thing of just like actually tra- traversing your city on on ice like that. That's yeah, cool. it's it's such a unique thing that gives the city a lot of personality and a city that sometimes is underestimated for some of the personality that it offers. It is just it is just an amazing amazing thing. And residents of the city, it's not just tourists. Residents adore no. it. My te- my phone was blowing up yesterday with people in the city being like, "Dave, we're so excited. We get to go skating today or get to go skating this week." And Michelle, you mentioned And you're like, "Thanks, guys." Well, yeah, thanks. I live thanks in this I live in this garbage concrete jungle. Um, but <laughs> I lost my train of thought here. Uh, Michelle, yeah, you mentioned like the, you mentioned that it never got open last year. That's because the National Capital Commission, who runs the Rideau Canal, has a lot of rules about how thick the ice needs to be and how many yeah. and how many days consecutively of below minus 10 before you're actually allowed to open the canal. Because, you know, public safety and hypothermia and drowning and all that jazz. Yeah, not a great look if it were to happen. And in fact, we had a reminder on the weekend of how dangerous the ice can be when a, a, here in Toronto, a car actually lost control. Oh, my gosh. Crashed through the ice into the lake and, and an 18-year-old man is dead as a result of it. So ice safety is no joke. The National Capital Commission uh, has very strict rules that they're quite strict about. Um, I think it's 30 centimeters is the minimum threshold for ice thickness. I believe so, I believe that's it. It's got to be minus 10 for like 10 mm-hmm. days consecutively. Yeah, yeah, I forget what the specific criteria are, but they're rigid and, and frankly, they make a lot of sense. And they are saying that, uh, in fact, to the point where they announced the reopening on Saturday and said it would be open at nine. And then on Sunday morning, they said, actually, we need like three and a half more hours. Yeah, We flooded the thing again overnight. It needs a little, just a little bit more time to set and then everyone can come out and play. Yeah. So that's what happened. And they're, they're, they are saying that they're planning to maintain this and it's that that's why they've only opened a limited stretch of the canal so far. They just want the safety conditions to be uh, more uniform. And Michelle, that's what leads to the daily poll today at Accessible Media on X, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. It's all about the Rideau Canal and the good winter vibes and the local flavor that it provides. And the question to the general public here is, what's something in your neck of the woods that offers that winter local flavor? Now, of course, some examples that I pointed to are the Rideau Canal, ice hotels in Quebec, like that's a super awesome annual fixture. Uh, There's also Northern Lights groups in cities like Edmonton, for example. They track when there's going to be uh, Northern Lights and they get together and they hang out and they watch the Northern Lights. Like, that's incredible. So, Michelle, what's, yeah. uh, what's, what's a good example of some, like, great winter local flavor in, in maybe this horrible neck of the woods? Tobogganing Hills. There's some really fun ones. Boom. Um, Simplicity. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. No, never underestimate tobogganing. It's the best. Um, yeah. That, that's, like, I, I, I have to confess, I, I don't, like, love winter and, and have... I've been taking full advantage of the winter amenities in the past few years. So there may be some cooler attractions, but I did hear you guys talking about maple sugar production. And that actually is a big one for my family specifically. Uh, we were, we were uh, half my family is Quebecois. So I actually associate sort of end of winter and early spring with, with that sort of thing. Nice. It's, uh, it's not, 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 not deep winter, but uh, touring maple sugar bushes in the winter and getting like fresh syrup on snow and that kind of stuff is, is another sort of winter yeah. classic. Don't forget the big greasy <laughs> breakfast they give you at the Loge before you go out, before they put you on who, the horse. Like, good stuff over who could here. Forget, who could forget that? Oh, yeah. man, pork and beans. Uh, Michelle, thank you for this. Have a lovely day. Talk to you on, on Friday. <laughs> Sounds good. Take care, Dave. That's Michelle McQuig, weekend news editor at the Canadian Press. Coming up next, starting a business could be a little bit easier in the digital age, but you still need money. You need financing. 
So Kelly Braun Johnson can give some tips on how to get that company off the ground. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. The Walrus is Canada's conversation, and you're invited to take part. Download AMI's Voices of the Walrus, where professional narrators read selected articles from the magazine. Available wherever you download your AMI podcasts.